you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Yanif Tal um, of The Graph, um, described as APIs for a vibrant, decentralized future. The Graph is an indexing protocol for querying networks like blockchain, um, such as Ethereum, but also storage networks like IPFS. Um, anybody can build and publish open APIs called subgraphs. We're going to get into a little bit what that means later. And making data accessible. Um, so the reasons why I wanted you on the show, there's been a load of buzz around the graph over the last year, but kind of especially most recently. And you've been winning a lot of key respected players in the Web3 space like Uniswap, Synthetics, Decentraland, Aragon, with a wide spectrum of use case. You've been backed by Coinbase VC, Multicoin, CoinFund, all very technical VCs. So I think, you know, that, that carries a lot of weight, certainly um, in my book. And on the one hand, your mission is to allow for this true interoperable Web3 stack. Um, and, I, you know, obviously multi-chain is, universe is very important to that. And this is an increasing theme towards the end of 2020. And I think going into 21 with things like Polkadot and Cosmos coming through. Um, but I think unless you're a developer, it might be non-obvious why the Web3 stack needs an indexing protocol and a standard to succeed. So this is kind of what I really want to build upon. Um, and of course, uh, make it a little bit more accessible. So I'm going to pretend to ask lots of dumb questions for other people when they're probably really mine. So welcome to the show, Yanif. Yeah, th thanks a lot for having me on, Jamie. And uh, yeah, really great intro that I think kind of covers... Um, you know, it's a nice kind of summary of what the graph is, and I'm happy to you know, dive into lots of details. Great. So uh, normally I invite a guest to help me work through their origin story, how they arrived at a particular problem that they're trying to solve for, their mission. I normally kind of summarize it. I'm going to try something different this time. Um, I'm going to kind of ask you to give give the the, the highlights. Um, but in in summary, as I kind of look through the LinkedIn profile and assuming I managed to kind of catch everything there, effectively you started out in in firmware, which for those that don't understand is software that provides this low level control for um, uh, devices specific hardware. And um, like a recent guest and a toloy of Solana, you worked briefly at Qualcomm. You worked there for 10 years. I think you were there for about a, a year or so. Um, you also founded a couple of startups. Uh, more recently, you were a partner at what I understand to be a studio or, or incubator um, with your fellow co-founder at The Graph, uh, uh, Brandon Ramirez. Could you give us some highlights of your journey to The Graph? What led you to land on tackling this specific problem? And I guess, um, is there a, a natural journey there or, or, or kind of this was this left field for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I might as well kind of walk through uh, the whole story from the beginning. Uh, so, so like you mentioned, I started in, you know, math, physics, electrical engineering and uh, firmware. 
uh, engineering out of school. And you know, I think the thing that drove me to those topics was just wanting to understand how the universe works. So you know, just small questions, small problems. <laughs> and um, you know, I think the the physics kind of training I think was really interesting for just framing, um, you know, how you look at the world and you know, really critical thinking in understanding the structure of phenomenon. You know, it's 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 pretty amazing when you discover that, you know, all of the richness that we see in the universe and the world is, is really just uh, the product of relatively few, extremely simple rules. Um, and it's, 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 you know, pretty amazing to just kind of wrap your head around that fact. Um, so, you know, started my career doing hardware and, and firmware, like you mentioned, and quickly realized I didn't want to be, you know, in that kind of environment, you know, really large corporations, you know, I worked at Hewlett Packard and, and, um, you know, realized that like big companies were not for me. Um, from there, started doing startups, like you mentioned, uh, working with uh, a friend of mine from school, uh, Brandon Ramirez, uh, that you mentioned. And um, soon after that, focused my career on developer tools. Uh, the very first startup that we did was like a web startup in 2012, uh, doing things in like mobile payments, but we were building uh, web and mobile apps and we had to iterate the product uh, multiple times in, in that search for product market fit. And um, in doing that, uh, you know, really just kind of hit the limitations of software development in general and, you know, really asked myself, why is it so hard to build great applications? You know, and how do we make software development more accessible to, to many more people? And so, uh, you know, I became really passionate about um, uh, developer tools, uh, frameworks, libraries, just all of the abstractions and the concepts around how developers, you know, think about software and, and build applications. Um, I worked at a company called MuleSoft, which does API developer tools from enterprise. And there, uh, you know, I got to see a lot of the software that, that underpins the Fortune 500. You know, how, how do these enterprise companies acquire software, integrate these like massively complex systems, um, uh, you know, many of which have been around for like decades. And, um, and that, that gave me a really interesting lens. Uh, and, uh, you know, after that, uh, me, Brandon, and, and the third co-founder at The Graph, Giannis, uh, started a React developer tools uh, company together to make it easier to build user interfaces. Uh, again, just kind of chipping away at that same problem. Uh, and then in 2017, uh, I came across Ethereum. And, uh, you know, Ethereum for me just ignited a lot of, um, you know, ideas that I've had kind of throughout my life just kind of like looking at the world today, you know, thinking about why, why does it, there seem to be like a, a mismatch in just like how things should get done in an internet enabled world and how things actually do get done. And, and you know, Ethereum was just this giant rabbit hole for me, even while we we're working on this other startup, you know, we found ourselves every like lunch, every, you know, opportunity we had just like talking about Ethereum and the possibilities um, and then, you know, it, it became too exciting to, um, to, to resist. So we, we jumped in full time um, and we started building dApps, you know, decentralized applications on top of Ethereum. I quickly realized that the infrastructure wasn't really ready yet. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny at the time, people were just like 
selling all of these ideas as if they already existed. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's uh, clearly those ideas weren't, you know, real at the time, uh, but, but there were a lot of interesting ideas and, and people were just like passionate about decentralization and changing how humans cooperate and organize and, and removing, you know, slow bureaucratic decision-making and corruption. And, and I think those are a lot of, you know, the right ideas. And I think, um, you know, we need to come back to them. Uh, but it just took a few years to actually build out the infrastructure uh, to, to make those kinds of applications possible. Yeah. And I've seen you um, describe kind of the benefits of Web3. I think it was almost a year ago today, December uh, 2019. You broke out or laid out almost a manifesto, the benefits of Web3. Um, you had six points, agency, reliability, interoperability, money, security, governance. Could you talk us through some of those concepts, why you felt they were important why you felt they represented a new paradigm, like I do, as uh, we call Web3. Yeah, and, and let me maybe just start with why I wrote that post. Uh, you know, d December last year, I feel like we were basically at, at the, um, you know, hardest point of, of the winter. And, um, you know, it was a really trying time, I think, for a lot of the entrepreneurs working in the space, where, you know, it felt like, you know, uh, the bottom might be the floor. You know, you don't know how low this thing's going to go. Um, you know, people really lost faith uh, because, you know, they're, they're extremely ambitious goals that people are working on for decentralization. And, um, and, and since, you know, we didn't quite have the technology to build those things, you know, it's really hard to know, are we one year away, five years, 10 years? And, and you know, the answer to that makes all the difference in the world when you've got, you know, a company that needs financing that only has, you know, a, a certain runway. Um, and so what I noticed is people really started just kind of giving up, um, you know, on those, you know, I, ideals and, and, and in the belief that we could attain it. And, you know, a, a lot of it, I think, was just kind of reckoning with the over exuberance of 2017 and 2018. And a lot of those ideas were in the sky and, um, and, and so really kind of deconstructing, like what is real about the vision that we had for Web3? And, um, you know, what are the components of it that like really are, you know, so significant and, you know, can change everything? And then how do we get there? Uh, and so I kind of, you know, outlined, you know, my vision of the value of Web3, why it's important and how we get there. And, uh, and so, so we published that December uh, last year. And uh, yeah, to, to kind of, you know, answer the question, I mean, I could break it down based on like those specific features that I think are, are, are kind of meaningful features. Uh, but, but the basic idea is really simple, which is um, allowing developers to build applications that run on open public infrastructure um, that's not controlled by individual corporations. And, you know, if you can do that, you know, and you can build great applications in that way, um, it is extremely powerful uh, because right now, um, you know, we are all used to using web applications, uh, but, you know, web applications are, are not the first type of software that's ever existed, right? We've gone through these like different waves, you know, before the internet, you know, people were getting their software through CD-ROMs. Before that, it was, you know, floppy disks. Before that, it was mainframe computers. So uh, there's lots of different ways to deliver software. And, um, 
And the problem with these kind of you know, web applications, internet-based applications, is that you give all of the power over to the corporation that's running the software. And, um, and, and, and that just you know, is, is limiting on, on so many factors. And I think we're seeing at a societal level, right, the issue with having you know, unaccountable, unelected corporations making decisions around how humans cooperate and organize, what information you can see, um, you know, what you're allowed to share with your friends. Um, uh, but you know, all the way down this, the, the scale to small companies that you have to really trust that they're going to continue to be around um, and and operate you know the service correctly. You know, I think we we saw you know a huge proliferation in web applications uh, and then mobile apps. And when those things were new, it was exciting and you wanted to ch you know check out the latest app of the day. Uh, but I think what people have, have realized is, hey, startups actually have giant failure rates. You know, ninety you know plus percent of startups fail. You know, why would I take the time to actually use a new application if odds are it's not going to be around in a year? And so, you know, there's just like all of these problems that compound with these types of Internet applications where, um, you know, the service provider has complete control over the logic that's running um, and the data that's being stored and how you can access that data. And um, and and, you know, so I, th I think we. Uh, you know, so the, the, the vision of Web3 is really to just re-architect, um, you know, how we build software um, and, and make it so that uh, we can build, you know, stable, verifiable foundation for software and for information, uh, which, which is, you know, a, just a really important thing for, for us as, as a species. Yeah, and I've seen in the context of describing Web3 as a stack for a ra radically better internet, um, you specifically zone in on all data is stored and processed on open networks with verifiable integrity. And the graph makes querying this data fast, reliable, and secure. Um, so I guess you know, zoning in on that data piece, understanding this as a, a new data economy in effect. Um, and then, of course, one of those six points was interoperability to seamlessly switch between dApps. And I guess that was one of the missing ingredients um, a year ago and arguably today that you've tried to, you're, you're, you're kind of speaking to with, with what you're doing with the graph. Um, so, and I guess the argument is that without something like the graph, you can't have a Web3 stack, right? This composability, this interoperability requires um, this indexing standard uh, and you know, marketplace eventually to, to kind of properly function. Um, before we go into you know, what is indexing and why is it important to developers, it would be good to understand when you describe the graph um, and the universe, the kind of data universe that you, or database universe that you engage with, you operate on that spectrum of both the blockchain and the storage network. You know, when blockchain and when storage network, and why do you need this combination of things for Web3? Web3 and DeFi are going to be built um, using a combination of many protocols. And, you know, the graph is just one protocol. You know, Ethereum is one protocol, IPFS, Filecoin. Um, I think there are going to be many blockchains, many layer twos, um, and uh, you know, the important thing is that all of these networks are open and verifiable and and permissionless or decentralized. And, and there's you know these different properties 
that um, you know when, when a network is open, permissionless, and verifiable, um, you know that it's a stable foundation that you can build upon where you're not dependent, again, on like a single corporation uh, continuing to, to run the thing. Um, and uh, I think the architecture for how you build applications on top of these open protocols really depends on the application. And so, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of development here over the last few years. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, there's, there are design patterns that are, have emerged. So, for example, if you have files, um, you know, those should be stored on, you know, a network like, say, Filecoin IPFS. Uh, you can anchor that data, you get back a hash and you anchor that on chain. And now you have this global consensus over the data. Um, I think there is a big difference between um, you know, these two regimes of public data and private data. So you know, I think for public data, it's very valuable to have consensus over that data uh, to, to make sure that you know, we're speaking the same language. You know, people are constantly you know, moving you know, different geographies or coordinating with people in you know, different parts of the world. And if everybody's seeing a different view of the world, it makes it really difficult to communicate. Uh, so consensus is really powerful, primitive. You know, how we build up a scalable consensus uh, using a series of, of different networks and, and blockchains, I think is really interesting. Uh, but you know, a lot of the raw like data storage uh, is something that really makes sense to offload um, to, to networks that focus specifically on that. So it'd be great to now uh, give a almost 101 on indexing and why it's important to developers kind of keeping in mind the, the non-developer audience. And I know you you mentioned that a lot of projects in the Web3 space until the graph were doing um, creating custom proprietary indexing ser uh, servers. Um, so could you talk us through, you know, why, uh, what is indexing? Why is it important? And uh, I guess speaking to that, I guess, pain point of projects having to solve for that themselves in a proprietary custom way. Yeah, well, well, let's maybe start just on, you know, what is a decentralized application, you know, and, and why. So, you know, if you, if you buy into this idea that um, we are going to have a proliferation of decentralized applications, you know, the benefit of a decentralized application is that it's running on an open public infrastructure. You don't have to trust specific teams uh, to operate that infrastructure, and you have a lot more freedom and control in how you interact uh, with that software. And so, you know, you could imagine that maybe you're an artist and you want to be able to publish your music, uh, somehow get paid when people listen to your music, and um, and and you know, right now you have companies like Spotify, for example, or maybe Apple Music, or maybe it's the labels and, and you know, they exercise a lot of control over the value flows in that economy. And in a decentralized world with decentralized applications, it's something where as an artist, I wanna have control of my music and I wanna know, um, you know, what are the, the, the rules that impact, you know, how I'm going to be able to make money. I own my reputation. Um, that's something that people can't take away from me. And, uh, and maybe we can also plug in like, you know, open, transparent governance on top of these things when there are different stakeholders to make sure that uh, these things are evolving, um, you know, in, in, you know, open and fair ways. Uh, so if you buy into the idea of these kind of decentralized applications, um, it's really important to not have single points of failure. And whenever you have these kind of like centralizing 
um, you know, places, that is generally the place where um, value gets extracted, right? Where like these kind of monopolies get built, people take advantage. And that's kind of just the history of, of human coordination is, it, you know, it starts out innocuous, you know, or innoc innocuous, um, it, you know, hey, somebody needs to run the server, you know, I'll do it, I, you know, I'll promise to be good. Um, but, you know, it's, you, you can't bank on that. And, um, you know, the internet itself was designed to be decentralized. And then, you know, you had these points of centralization, you know, Google is kind of, you know, a point of centralization, Facebook, and, and then, you know, that grows and grows. Um, so, so it's important that the entire software stack is decentralized. And that's what allows developers um, to build on top of somebody else's code um, without taking on the risk that um, the thing that they're using is going to get yanked or changed, um, you know, with, without their, their consent. Um, and, uh, you know, when people were building these decentralized applications in 2017, you, you couldn't actually build great products uh, in a fully decentralized way. Um, so even with Ethereum, um, you know, Ethereum gave us this, you know, beautiful consensus layer uh, where you could write these smart, smart contracts uh, but if you try to build like a fast loading web application or a mobile app on top of that, um, you know, it would take a, a very long time to load the data onto the screen because the data wasn't being stored in a format that could be efficiently queried. Um, and so to, to deal with that, obviously, nobody wants to use an app where you're staring at a white blank screen for a few minutes um, or even days, you know, before you can start using the app. And so, you know, teams got pragmatic, you know, we've got to create a better experience. And so they would build these custom proprietary servers that would ingest the data, you know, store it in a database and then serve it up. Uh, but now, you know, you are back to that single point of failure. And, you know, doing that work itself is, is very costly. It's difficult to do well because there's all of these ways that like your local database can get out of sync with the blockchain. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a lot of resources uh, for for the teams, uh, but you know, importantly, it also just breaks the trust assumptions, um, you know, for for these decentralized applications. So so we came across that limitation, um, you know, early on when we were experimenting with Ethereum in 2017, and and that's why we decided to build the graph uh, because you know we thought that it was important to have this indexing layer that is decentralized that allows you to build great products, products that are every bit as good as you know, the, the web two products that people are used to, um, but will actually be a lot more powerful because there's a lot of exciting new features that you get with web three. And in this way, we can have a fully decentralized uh, application stack. Yeah, and, and I guess also not having to then compromise on the, the security properties that you want to see in, in Web3. So um, as I understand it, the kind of MVP or the first product um, was Everest in December 2019, and that was as a, as a consequence of a collaboration with MetaCartel. Could you talk us through how that came about? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I highlighted Everest in that Path to Web 3 post. Um, you know, we had many, many projects building on us, you know, before we, we launched Everest. Um, but, you know, this is this was kind of a, you know, personal pet project of mine, and, and luckily the, the team was uh, on board with kind of building it out. Uh, but, you know, Everest is a very simple project. It's a project registry. 
And, um, you know, people were building a lot of interesting, exciting, awesome applications on top of the graph already. Um, but, um, you know, we wanted to start getting a little bit more purposeful around, um, you know, showing people what kind of decentralized applications could exist that weren't existing. And, you know, we, we wanted to help push Web3, um, you know, from this kind of, you know, zero to one. You know, reflecting back again when we were in December 2019, you know, people had kind of left Web3 for dead. And, and so we wanted to kind of like, you know, paint the path forward to how do we actually get this thing off the ground? And uh, where, you know, I landed was that we should start by focusing on applications that would be um, really useful for the crypto community. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to get to product market fit. It's hard, tough to get to network effects. And if we're in these early stages where, you know, the infrastructure is still maturing, it's going to be rough around the edges. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to, you know, sell that and to get to product market fit and to get to network effects within a group of people that are already bought in. Um, and, you know, once you get to a point where products are really easy to use and they're useful uh, because you're already at those network effects, then it's, it's much easier to grow out from that base. Uh, but the, the first step is really to get to that base of product market fit with an initial set of apps in an initial community. And so, you know, scoping that down just to the crypto community, um, you know, I landed on, on, you know, five different apps that could all interoperate and that would be a a really you know strong starting point in allowing us to organize the crypto economy you know because you know the 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 people that are working in crypto you know we're already a pretty tight knit community right we're all you know reading the same articles following each other on twitter going to the same events um and and working and collaborating together and so um you know i think there there's room for a set of apps that we can use to organize our own work um, that we could build on top of Web3 natively and then get to that base, get to that zero to one, get to that product market fit. And then, you know, from there, when we go out and we try to recruit more people to like, hey, join this crypto community, you know, there's this exciting new thing that's happening. Um, there will be something there that's real um, that, that they can sink their teeth into that like, here's how you get started. You do these things. And, and so, you know, Everest, um, you know, was was just you know one of these apps, and it's really really simple. But it's a projects registry, and we want to have every single project that's in the crypto space on Everest. Uh, there's just you know a few basic fields: your website, description, you know, logo. Um, it's all categorized, so you can see projects that are in DeFi or working on governance or you know, exchanges, different areas inside of the crypto economy, but we wanna start organizing that crypto economy. And you know, this can then you know, start the process of you know, deconstructing some of the web two apps that we're using today, like LinkedIn, um, that quite frankly, I think are really underserving um, you know, their, their users and, and start to create more crypto native ways of organizing uh, economic work. Yeah, and obviously since then, there have um, been a number of different uh, projects that are using the graph, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Could you explain the concept of a subgraph and, I guess, a graph, subgraph, 
and how they then um, combine into a single network. And I know you've spoken about this kind of marketplace concept as well for resource allocation. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, a, a high level, um, you know, view of the graph, you know, it's kind of a, a crazy ambitious goal. But if you could imagine a global graph of all of the world's public information, you know, easily accessible that anyone could build an application on top of, that is the graph. And the graph is composed of subgraphs, which are these individual GraphQL APIs, right? Open APIs that anyone can query. And, um, and these APIs are built on decentralized networks. So right now we support Ethereum and IPFS, uh, a few layer twos like XDAI. Um, but uh, any developer can build a subgraph which defines how to ingest uh, data from some Web3 data source, uh, how to process that data at ingestion time. You can build up aggregations or different views on that data and a GraphQL schema for querying that data. Um, and so with those things combined, you have your, your subgraph description. Um, we launched uh, a hosted service almost two years ago um, that's been seeing a, a ton of growth. It's used by a lot of the top projects uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and so there, there are over 3,000 subgraphs that have deployed to that hosted service, and people can go there to discover subgraphs that have been built by developers. Uh, and then we're launching our decentralized network later this year where you'll be able to publish those subgraphs uh, to a, a decentralized network of indexers um, uh, where uh, all of that data processing, indexing, and uh, you know, and query processing will be done on, on the decentralized network. Um, but but these, these subgraphs are, are really you know, powerful abstractions because um, you can very quickly discover data that you want to include in your application. Um, you write a GraphQL query that gets you just the data that you want back. Um, that you want to like surface in your UI, for example. Um, and it's it's a really convenient way to then build applications on top of uh, GraphQL. Uh, but now all of this is running, you know, on a fully decentralized uh, application stack. Yeah, so you mentioned the role of indexes there, and I know there's also uh, curators. Could you talk us through the network design? And there's there's also a, a t like an incentive design through the token as well, right? Yeah, that's 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 right. So there there are three main um, economic roles in the network. So the the indexers we said we we, we said were uh, the node operators that that are you know running the servers. It's it's very compute intensive uh, kind of task. Uh, you could almost think of, of these folks as like your decentralized DBAs, you know, in a traditional setting, uh, going in, optimizing database access, uh, things like that. Um, then you've got the curators are um, the people that are organizing the data on the graph. So they may, might be building subgraphs themselves, or they're, you know, very involved in understanding, you know, what protocols are getting built, uh, which subgraphs would be most useful to the community, uh, evaluating those subgraphs, um, and, um, and they, they signal on subgraphs with, uh, with the graph token uh, to um, indicate to indexers which subgraphs they should be indexing and uh, to developers to let them know which subgraphs um, they should be using in their applications. Um, and then we have delegators uh, which are uh, uh, the least technical role 
where you can help secure the network by staking tokens towards indexers. And uh, I didn't mention on the economic side that the, the indexers stake graph tokens for, for economic security. So if they misbehave, uh, they can be slashed. And then you know the other side of the, the uh, incentives, both for the indexers and curators, is that they'll be able to earn query fees. Uh, so that the indexers can set their prices. You know, they choose which subgraphs they want to index, uh, and then they can set their prices uh, very granularly um, per query. Uh, and the majority of the fees then go to the indexers, uh, but the curators also get a cut based on their signal. And then there's uh, new token issuance uh, that the indexers get through indexing rewards. And, uh, and that's basically the, the economic system. Great. And so, um, as I mentioned at the top, you've already, you're already being adopted by you know, several well-regarded projects in the space, all different use cases. So you've got Uniswap, Synthetics, Decentralized, Aragon, I'm sure there are more. Could you talk us through how some of those projects are leveraging the graph today? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Uniswap.info is, is built on the graph. So when you're browsing... Uh, to see, you know, the the different exchanges and their volumes and like trade history and all that stuff is coming from the graph. Uh, the synthetics exchange, you know, there's a lot of rich data there uh, for traders to be able to interact with the system. Uh, the decentralized marketplace, you know, when you're browsing all of the different parcels of land and and di digital goods that you can buy, um, that's being powered by the graph. Um, apps in the NFT space like Foundation are using the graph. You know, uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's a really beautiful app that um, lets creators uh, sell uh, digital goods or physical goods directly to their audiences using NFTs. And um, and it, you know, it's it's just like a really beautiful experience. Fast loading app. You can you know browse these collections by these different artists. Um, so uh, people are building, you know, lots of different kinds of applications on, on the graph. Uh, you know, obviously DeFi has been, uh, you know, a really big area uh, for the space. So there's just like a ton of DeFi projects that are built on the graph. Um, NFTs is growing in popularity now. So we're seeing more and more things there. Um, DAOs and governance, right? Like you mentioned, Aragon. Uh, we also have DAO stack. Uh, in Moloch, uh, it's just some examples of, you know, DAO-based systems. Um, but, you know, any kind of uh, protocol like this has a, a, you know, rich set of data that's being generated either on-chain or, you know, um, data that they're storing on, on their storage networks. And, you know, they have some kind of interface, whether it's a web or, or a mobile app. And so uh, you, you need to organize that data uh, to make it efficient to access so people can build different types of applications on top. And so that, that's why all these folks have, have chosen to build on the graph. And so in very simple terms, is the benefit of having all of these on the graph, like connected, that you can start to find correlations between seemingly disconnected data in the context of machine learning? Like what, what is the benefit of these things not just existing in a silo, but being, being uh, connected in some way? You know, the, the first step is just making it possible to build an application at all. Because right? if, if you go to build an application, you don't have something like the graph and you're just staring at a blank screen for a few minutes. You know, that's just not something that you can ship. 
So, you know, the, the, the first thing is, you know, the graph has done a really great job of just making the developer's life way simpler so they can just get to market. Um, you know, it's, it's a bunch of complex code that they don't have to write themselves. Um, you know, then there's a question of how do you want to run that software? And, um, you know, a graph node is pretty resource intensive to run. Um, so like on our hosted service, we have like a massive cluster uh, on Google Cloud um, with, with, with lots of servers and beefy databases. And um, it's actually quite hard to, you know, keep uh, a service like this running reliably. So now you need DevOps folks that are keeping the servers up and running. Um, that's, that's really costly. So, you know, do application developers want to be in the business of operating and maintaining infrastructure? Uh, most of them not. So that's, you know, a big benefit of the decentralized network is, you know, you don't need to think about running servers and, and just for app developers, um, you've already seen that trend towards more like serverless architectures, even before blockchain. And I think that's the direction that things are going because, you know, developers are, are in demand and um, you know, it's better that they uh, leverage their time uh, efficiently. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's one massive, uh, you know, benefit of using a decentralized network. Um, you also get, you know, cost efficiencies because these can be massively multi-tenant. You have service providers competing to provide the best service at, at the lowest price, and you get this extra redundancy with like global coverage. Um, so, so purely from an operation standpoint, um, and if it, you know resource efficiency, it's 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 a really great way to go. Uh, and then finally, it just provides this robust foundation for data, which you know is something that will be able to be leveraged for just more and more and more things. And you know, it, it is really just crazy how uh, you know how limited we are by having you know, so much of our data in these silos where they're not accessible uh, by, by other people. And you, know, you have to be working at so-and-so big company in order to even have access or knowledge of certain areas. And it, you know, we, we just restrict access to, to so many opportunities uh, because the data is living in these silos. So um, making it so that public data is truly public and, um, and you can have people that specialize in certain areas that have that access, they can contribute um, you know, by analyzing that data, by integrating more systems to this global commons and really having this like global public open infrastructure um, is, is going to allow for uh, just an, an insane number of new applications that weren't possible before. So I think you know, clearly, what you're working on with the graph and in collaboration with all these other projects in Web3 is, as you say, going to make it um, much more easier for DAP developers to deploy into the space. So, um, you know, what what are you what areas are you thinking are most exciting for DAP developers now, and what what do you kind of see we've got to look forward to in in 2021 for Web3? Yeah, so you know, it is a really exciting time for the space right now. You know, I think that the infrastructure has really gotten to a place where you know we can build really great applications. And um, you know, I think crypto is now just at the very beginning of the next big wave. And so, you know, uh, you know, countless opportunities uh, for for people that want to build new applications that you know help us transition markets over from you know these old siloed 
um, you know, kind of systems to this open public permissionless infrastructure. And, um, you know, I really believe that the entire economy is going to move over to this new type of infrastructure. And so the, the opportunities are just massive. Um, so, you know, for, for any entrepreneurs that have been thinking about, you know, dipping their toes in crypto and getting started, you know, now is the time. Um, you know, it's, it's all happening. It's a really exciting, uh, you know, time for, for the industry. Um, and so we, we'd love to work with all of those developers and, and help support them uh, in building the future. Yeah, well, look, thanks for coming on. I think, you know, a lot of the work that you've been doing for as long as I've been in the space, you know, we've seen a lot of use cases that we know are inevitable in Web3, but we've just had to wait until the tooling's ready and the stack's matured and clearly uh, the graph is doing a lot to accelerate that process. So thanks for all the work that you're doing and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, th thanks a lot, Jamie. Really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.